right, good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, January 24th, 2014. This week, episode 312 comes to you from Studio D in a snowy and cold central city, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me in the studio is at the controls, Jessica Lawson. Hello, everyone. Good day, Jess. Back in the studio at Studio C in McKee's Rocks is my co-host and friend, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hey, Joe, it's a cold one in Pittsburgh today, I'll tell you that, but probably you've got us by maybe another 10 degrees colder where you're at. Yeah, up on the mountain here it gets a little chilly, but uh, we're, we're we're prepared, you know? That's the nice thing about this area of the, of the country, uh, snow, cold, hey, just another day in paradise. Today's segments include an interview with our guest, Brian Baker of Custom Vac up in the... Uh, Winnipeg area of Canada. We're, we're getting the view from Canada on indoor air quality, HVAC, and we're calling him our man in the field. Brian's been doing indoor air quality and um, HVAC related work for going on 40 years here, so he's been around for a long time. Look forward to that interview. We also have, of course, our IAQ radio trivia question. We'll stop for halftime, quickly thank our sponsors, and then we'll bring in our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, for the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, don't forget you can stream past shows right from our website, iaqradio.com, or follow the link that says Go To Show for downloading shows, and of course you can get them from iTunes. Don't forget we also have continuing education credits available by listening to the show, answering some questions on a quiz. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com for more information on continuing education credits and last but not least please visit the iaq training institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com let's turn it over to the z-man for today's iaq radio trivia question thanks joe prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submit your answers easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. The IAQ radio trivia question for Friday, January 24th, 2014 has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is www.trsca.org. 
Now for this week's trivia question. Name the French engineer best known as the inventor of refrigeration equipment used to produce ice. Back to you, Joe. Nice one. All right. Today's guest is Brian Baker. Brian is the owner of Custom Vac Limited of Winnipeg, Manitoba. He has been in the HVAC and indoor air quality industry for almost 40 years and has been a huge education advocate throughout. His list of training and certification is extensive, as is his hands-on experience in the industry. Got to know Brian through IAQ Radio and realized he's got a lot to offer to our listeners and um, looking forward to his kind of like a man-in-the-field report here. He's been uh, evaluating IEQ issues, and, and very few people have the kind of experience he's got. He's also been uh, teaching uh, HVAC-related courses for the Refrigeration Services Engineer Society in Winnipeg Chapter. And in 2009, he opened the West Tech Energy Training Center, where he currently teaches fifth-class power engineering, preparation for residential HVACR, refrigerant handling certification, and he also manages the education training for the RSES Winnipeg chapter via their online internet delivery platform. We've got some music for Brian. Do we have you on the line, Brian? You bet. All right, welcome. Sounds Wait. like a hockey game, Joe. Yeah, <laughs> let's drop the puck and get rolling here. You know, I went to a, yeah. a I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. Somebody said one time to me, but yeah. uh, hey, Brian, it, it's great to have you. Um, we've talked a little in the past. Let's let's start with a little background on your company. How big is the company? Uh, we've got six employees uh, right now, four to six. Uh, is where we're at. We used to be a large, large company. We had about 25 guys going, and uh, back in 95, we now 93, I guess, we kind of made the decision that uh, we were either going to have to grow or we were going to have to uh, redirect. And uh, we did a lot of big commercial work at that point as well, too. And I wasn't turned on to that as much as my parents were, so we wound up... Uh, uh, downsizing basically and get out of the rat race. Uh, we were just turning dollars at that point. You know, I, I hear that a lot when you're in that range, 25 or so, you know, 15, 10 to, I don't know, 10 to what, 50 employees. It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do, you know, tough to make it. And, uh, oftentimes people don't make, you know, they make more money as a smaller company and with a whole heck of a lot less headache. So, that's interesting. Now, what you're in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, just north of um, North Dakota there, and I wonder if you could help listeners kind of get a feel for what what type of construction do you have most common up there, and um, we'll talk residential, I guess, and then what type of um, mechanical systems are most common? Well, we got just about every house you can imagine. Um, you know, bungalows, uh, two stories, ranches. Uh, there's a lot of big monster homes going up, but uh, 
primarily the older housing stock is uh, basements with uh, stucco exteriors. Uh, those are, again, extremely tight, and they continue to be uh, tighter homes. There is a lot, though, through built through the 70s where siding uh, became more popular and vinyl siding and all the rest. But still, even today, in the new ho- housing developments that are going up, it's pretty much uh, stucco exterior uh, on the homes. If we could just get them to stop designing these crazy uh, uh, roof designs and angles and stuff where they can't manage water, uh, we'd probably be uh, really ahead of where we are today. I'm glad you bring that up. I just came back from Philadelphia, the the stucco uh, capital of the world, and we were doing some training, and and the main group of people in the course were all guys that do stucco repair and and stucco um, uh, renovation, I guess, and they're having a whole heck of a lot of trouble with the um, moisture problems from the stucco. Now, it's both real stucco and then the... um, Exterior insulated finish system, sometimes referred to as EFs. Which are you talking about? Uh, well, actually, there's both here, but uh, primarily it's it, it it's the old method where it's just sheeting, tar paper, and then wire and 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 stucco. But on a lot of the uh, older stock, they're starting to do the insulation and then uh, and then applying the stucco uh, over top of that. And that becomes a real challenge for us because we have no idea uh, unless we get direction from the client uh, as to uh, what's under. Uh, So when we try uh, fixing, uh, as an example, uh, air conditioner to to a foundation today, lots of times that's uh, got uh, just an exterior uh, uh, styrofoam covered in uh, in a stucco layer and you know, that becomes almost uh, incredibly difficult trying to mount uh, off of foundations or even when we're trying to core holes through walls for ventilation systems. Hmm. Now, we we talked a little before the show. It sounds like you've got a lot of um, water-based systems, and, but, but you have a little mix of everything when it comes to the mechanicals. But we were talking a little bit about... Uh, ground source heat pumps, and that, that they're very popular right now. Maybe you could expand on that just a bit. Yeah, the ground source heat pumps have uh, have uh, kind of risen again, if you will. Uh, they were big in throughout the 80s and uh, kind of went away. Uh, but uh, through uh, a resurgence uh, of, uh, of design and uh, and and also i think just the installation techniques have been uh, perfected a lot and then also the energy uh, the cost of energy has started to go back up and so it's become uh, interesting to the governments because again they want to get off of fossil fuels so they've been offering incentives uh, and fairly significant ones to allow for a lot of that capital cost to be absorbed as as to opposed to, you know, never ever in your entire lifetime being able to see a payback. Yeah, that's a big issue, I guess, with, with the ground source. You're, you're talking about a pretty big uh, upfront cost. Um, and But now I guess I'm a little confused. Aren't you in an area where there's a lot of energy being uh, generated at this point? 
Well, right. The entire province is hydroelectricity uh, generated, so we do see a lot of electric uh, furnaces in this marketplace, similar to Quebec. Uh, Quebec also is a hydroelectric province. So we generate a lot of electricity, send it down to you guys, send it all across, uh, you know, the east and west. Uh, but uh, that uh, still uh, ha- comes with a higher price tag than our fossil fuels. So the heat pumps, uh, you know, be it dual, uh, d- dual fuel, if you will, where we put add-on air source heat pumps uh, onto either electric or onto uh, homes who uh, have baseboard heated electric, at least we get to offset that higher uh, cost of energy. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. I didn't. I don't want to dominate things here. Are there any unique standards for heating, ventilation, air conditioning in Canada that are dramatically different from the United States? Would you know? Um, I don't. I don't believe so, other than, um, you know, in, in, in the U.S., in a lot of areas, uh, you know, you put your uh, ducts outside of the uh, conditioned space, which is something that I, uh, I mean, personally, I just can't get that. I don't care where you live. Uh, your ductwork should be within the conditioned space. Uh, we do have a few, though. I mean, I can't say we don't. Uh, those homes that have ducts in the unconditioned space uh, of the home are uh, the old wartime homes uh, that were built. So, I mean, that's really old stock. That's, you know, built all through the war years. So, uh, but after that, everything came inside. And those are in the attic? Um, typically under the home. Uh, the home would have a, uh, a, a, a crawl space. Uh, but the crawl space wouldn't be heated, so again, lots of times the floors were insulated, which uh, we all know, you know, there, there's another thing that we've learned over all the years not to do. Uh, but uh, no, I don't think there's any major significant difference between uh, the types of heating systems in Canada or the U.S. It's just, again, it's, a, it's more of a regional thing, you know. We see... Uh, a different fuel source on one side of the country than the other because the East Coast, again, is more uh, fuel oil. Um, We did fuel oil in a big way here. Uh, You know, at one time we had about 10,000 customers under oil contract. Uh, Oil now is primarily relegated to those areas either not served by natural gas or in the north, and even that, the cost of uh, fuel oil today has gotten uh, to the point where uh, the maintenance and trying to get maintenance people uh, now is also becoming difficult. So a lot of that is being switched over uh, to either geothermal or to um, just simply force their electric. So I, I assume you're following ASHRAE standards. I mean, ASHRAE 62.1 in your commercial buildings, ASHRAE 62.2. Are you seeing 62.2 adopted more in the residential market now? Well, in actual fact, we have our own standards. Um, ASHRAE standards are always valid regardless uh, because they are that accepted standard universally, uh, really, in North America. But we have um, 
uh, F326, and we have the National Building Code regarding our ventilation. Now, uh, there are differences um, uh, as, as far as uh, how we can calculate. We, we have to count all the rooms so we can get, uh, you know, 20 CFM for a master bedroom, uh, 20 for an open basement, 10 for each of the rooms. Uh, you do yours a little bit differently uh, than we do. Uh, but at the end of the day, there isn't a major uh, difference, really. Okay, I mean, uh, the, yeah, I mean, the key here is what we need to remember is we're ventilating for uh, people, but we also have to ventilate for that integrity of that building because it's the one thing uh, that we see happen uh, more than anything, and that is that. Uh, people don't respect that uh, that envelope, that building envelope. And when that building envelope is compromised in a small way, uh, it actually leads to some pretty big uh, problems down the road. And so trying to educate the trades uh, and get them to respect that building envelope, uh, Manitoba Hydro here, which is our our, our big utility, they did a energy uh, efficient uh, buildings uh, seminars all back through the uh, 80s, uh, and I used to attend them. They had a couple guys uh, who, who taught that course. Uh, Marv Olofsson was one of them, and uh, um, him and, uh, and Al, uh, man, I'm telling you, the, those guys were really good because they taught the importance of building tight. And one thing that we've always done here is having uh, hydro involved uh, because of the cost of hydroelectricity being higher than fossil fuels, uh, the importance of building uh, tighter homes and reducing the, uh, the load on that home uh, was critical. So they played a pivotal role in actually bringing energy-efficient buildings uh, to fruition, really, here in, in in Manitoba. So you got the phrase, build tight, ventilate right. I, I don't know. Did that, I think I came out of Canada. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, and, and, and in fact, that was the motto for years and years was, uh, you know, um, uh, build tight, ventilate right. And uh, I tell my students, well, well, I do respect the... You, you know the 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 people who who coined that phrase who came long before me. Um, one of the things is I I think we really have it wrong though, uh, and part of that comes with what we see. Uh, we're picking up the pieces more so than being proactive. Uh, we get a call because someone's uh, you know moisture levels are over seventy percent in the home. Uh, the doors are freezing. They can't get out of the home. The locks are freezing. Uh, they've got mold growth on the walls or, you know, uh, up in the corners. Uh, they've got staining of the wall studs, uh, you know, all kinds of problems. And so I think what we should have been teaching all these years is ventilate right and build tight. Because what we're doing is we take a, t- take a home like what, I'm living in. It was built in 1950. Now, you would think that that home is actually a fairly uh, loose home. And, and actually, because it's a stucco home, it's actually fairly tight. And so as people put in uh, better windows and better doors, and then they may decide to put in a new high-efficient furnace and remove the furnace from the chimney, 
go to an electric hot water heater, uh, the home now can't breathe properly. There's no ventilation. And so we see sometimes just simply after installing a furnace, the moisture levels will spike in that home to a point where it, it, it's just crazy. I mean, you know, and now they blame the furnace. And so what we should have been telling people is, look, you need to ventilate your homes properly first. If you provide proper ventilation to your home, then as you tighten your home and seal your home and make your home more energy efficient, these issues don't even arise. I see. Now, with ventilation, do you see problems with overventilation? Sure we do. Sure we do. And, and, and that comes in a lot of these large homes. I mean, we have, you know, 3,500, 4,000 square foot homes where we have two people living them, in them today. And the, yet those homes are set up at the prescribed ventilation rates, which, of course, are going to be far too much for those people uh, living in the home. Uh, good news is we've got better control systems today now on the ventilation systems uh, that either uh, operate in what we call smart mode uh, or they operate for maybe only uh, 10 minutes on um, or, or, sorry, 20 minutes on, 40 minutes off, or 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off. Uh, so they're able to adjust that a little, but still in homes that size where we have only two people, um, not only do we ventilate, but we wind up having to humidify at the same time. And that, that would be my next question, Brian. Why do homes get so, in, in the north at least, and nowadays, I mean, today, I bet it's cold in Atlanta uh, because we've got this big polar thing coming down at us. Sorry about the phone in the background. But uh, anyway, why do homes get so dry in the winter? Is it, is it because of the furnace or is it something else? No, it's, it, it, it's simply the air. I mean, the air is so dry. I mean, when we bring in that cold, dry air into our homes, it sucks up so much moisture. Uh, by, by raising the temperature, that air now has that ability to, to hold more moisture, and it basically sucks that moisture up. And, and, we, and, and so our, our, our relative humidity goes down. I mean, we can see uh, relative humidities... Um, Somewhere like the Sahara Desert, down 4%, 6%. That's not uncommon uh, for us. So, see, ventilating a home in, in, in the cold north is actually excellent. Um, it's much different. I mean, you, you couldn't drag outdoor air if you were down uh, in the deep U.S., but we have the advantage of having this dry, cold air that we can bring in and help absorb this moisture, if you will, to wick it out. Uh, and, and reduce our RH. Uh, we also have the ability uh, in, in my climate area to be able to uh, take advantage of free cooling. So rather than run uh, mechanical refrigeration, uh, we just monitor that, uh, that relative humidity through enthalpy and, and, and then adjust our controls accordingly so uh, that when we have those days when the air is in the right condition, we just bring free air in to cool the building. We, we don't have to pay for mechanical cooling. Uh, that, again, is, a, uh, is another huge advantage. But 
remember, any time we have this now, it, it becomes even more essential that the service technicians out there in the field, that they actually uh, know and understand how to adjust these controls. And, and that in itself now becomes the next challenge. Once you have the systems that are supposed to be performing, the real question is, do they perform? You know, there's a bit of a debate now in the United States, in the building science community anyway, and the ASHRAE, and with the ventilation issue, and um, there's a side that feels like we should give the homeowner or building owner more control over their ventilation. Uh, how do you think that would work? Well, I, I, I think that, you know, you run the risk of, of now allowing them to really not understand what that, I mean, they, they have no idea of the building science in that home. This is, you know, this is one of the things when, when I write proposals up, you know, you, you should never apologize for telling people the truth about their system or what their system is doing or is not doing. Uh, you know, lay it out there for them. Uh, the bottom line is, uh, I don't want them coming back after the fact and saying, you know, you didn't tell me about this, or, you know, why didn't you do this, okay? I'd rather them understand uh, how it should be, and then let them make the decision now as to, do they agree, and if they don't agree, then what are they going to do? And I have a situation now this morning where this very uh, thing arose, and uh, he's choosing not to address uh, some of the issues. And, uh, you know, to me, they're serious issues. But the bottom line is uh, he's been educated. Uh, we've disclosed uh, all of the information to this individual, and it's going to be up to him now to take ownership of that information. I, I can't, I, I can't force the you know anyone to do anything they don't want to do, but to not inform them, uh, to me, uh, you know that is negligence on our part. We 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 must disclose that if we know it, and that becomes a problem uh, in the industry for uh, a lot of us because the more you know, then the more you feel obligated to. Uh, educate and 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 to inform that client so that they can make uh, that educated informed decision uh, based on that knowledge that you've now imparted on them let's go to another issue that homeowners have need to have some control over I guess humidifiers do you I assume you have a lot of humidifiers on your systems but maybe I'm wrong yeah no we do um, not as many as we used to, because again, uh, as you tighten the building envelopes up, right? Um, I have a client who uh, had a great humidification system that uh, was installed by another contractor. Uh, well done installation and everything, and uh, I was called there over the holiday to uh, fix his furnace uh, that had broken down, and um, I noticed it was off and. Uh, and so I inquired to him as to, you know, gee, you know, it's such a great humidifier, you're not running it. And he said, no, he says, actually, we're having a lot of problems with moisture now on the windows, and uh, I'm having trouble with my doors and locks sticking and things. And uh, so anyway, we started talking about it, and, uh, 
he had actually put in all the new windows and all the new doors. And that had made such a difference to him that he hadn't needed to run the humidifier. In fact, now he's gone the other way. And so when I started rummaging around, he did have an outdoor air duct coming into his return air, and that uh, that uh, outdoor uh, duct was actually uh, the screen was blocked. It was it was an old uh, an old intake, and they in the old days they used window screen instead of quarter inch mesh. Uh-huh. So uh, I, we 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 tore it out, and then I've uh, subsequently sent him. Uh, a proposal for a heat recovery ventilation system and uh, how to uh, now get them back to something that's more efficient other than just dragging in cold, uh, you know, minus 30, minus 40 degree air. That's another issue that I think uh, I wanted to ask you about is heat recovery ventilation. Is Are you seeing uh, an increased demand? I was at ASHRAE just for a day. I went to the expo and they were everywhere. Uh, HRVs, ERVs, they were, you know, there were more than I'd ever seen. Uh, are you seeing the same thing? Uh, yeah, because uh, we now have an energy code in Manitoba that was passed that now mandates that all uh, it, all uh, new homes uh, be fitted with HRVs. Hmm. So that's increased it into the uh, new construction housing market. And again, the minute something is uh, mandated into that market, it always picks up uh, the retrofit market, although the retrofit market has always been a uh, a strong market here anyway for us, but uh, it it never hurts to have the new construction be forced into it because that uh, that helps uh, bring the uh, the the focus, if you will, uh, and uh, and brings a higher level of attention uh, again as people go through. Uh, show homes and all kinds of things. They they see these new products, and so we start to uh, get the calls uh, on the retrofit side. You know, it's we've got to go to our halftime in just a moment. But I wanted to ask one quick question before we do. Are are you seeing a lot of the green programs? Is that being as widely adopted in um, your area of the country, uh, your area of North America, as what seems to be happening in some areas of the United States? It is. It's happening in the multifamily dwelling homes, uh, the, the commercial buildings, of course, all through LEED. Uh, Manitoba Hydro's building uh, would be uh, absolutely fantastic uh, for you to uh, look into the Manitoba Hydro building and, you know, uh, have someone from Manitoba Hydro talk to you about their uh, their solar collector and uh, all of the, uh, they've got a water wall, uh, they've got all kinds, uh, they've well, the whole building is a uh, ground source uh, heat pump, and uh, it's uh, it's an absolute fantastic uh, building. But, uh, you know, again, I, no, no matter what you do, when you go back and you look at CMHC's uh, stats and, you know, all of the research that's been done throughout the years, uh, we build uh, some of the tightest homes in Canada. In fact, uh, I put air conditioning into a 4,500-square-foot home. Now, um, you know, we do get warm here, uh, believe it or not. Um, uh, At one point, we actually sold more air conditioners per capita than anywhere in Canada, and that might seem pretty odd, but we don't like extreme temperatures here. Uh, And when it gets up to be, you know, 95 degrees or 93 degrees, 
everybody's uh, literally dying here from the heat. But this 4,500-square-foot home, uh, we cool that with an 18,000 BTU air conditioner. Hmm. Now, that is absolutely unheard of. But that, that gives you an idea of how tight uh, a building and how energy efficient that building is. It uses stretch, stretch skin panels. Uh, it's got a uh, boiler with in-floor heat, and uh, it's got a uh, mechanical ventilation system, and uh, it's all state-of-the-art. The windows are all a... Uh, uh, the uh, the gas uh, between the glass is all different depending on which exposure level. Uh, some have got films on, some don't have films on them. Uh, it was uh, it was quite a project. In fact, it won awards in Canada for being uh, the tightest home. Wow! Hey, Brian, we've got to stop and thank our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with the second half of our interview with Brian Baker out of uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Great stuff so far on HVAC, IAQ, and the man in the field. Let's go and thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview with Mr. Brian Baker. I'm going to turn it over to the Z-Man. I know he's got to, I, uh, got to get you a chance to get a question in here, Cliff. Yeah, um, Brian, you know, someone that's had your experience uh, in the business, the longevity of it, you know, years ago, they would put a furnace in a house, and that furnace would last 20, 30 years, uh, you know, with very few issues. With all of the new high-tech equipment, you've got HRVs, we've got, you know, geothermal, we've got more sophisticated controls, and so on and so forth. Is your experience, what's your experience with the durability of this newfangled hardware? Yeah, man, Cliff, I love I love this question. I'm I'm so glad you asked this one. Um, 
there and, and listen, I don't get paid by any manufacturer, okay? I, I just simply install their equipment. The manufacturers today build equipment as good, if not better, than they did 50 years ago. Okay. Now, longevity. There is a difference between um, how long metal takes to fatigue today compared to 50 years ago. 50 years ago, we installed heat exchangers that, trust me, um, or furnaces, you know, with heat exchangers that were made out of that quarter-inch plate steel. Uh, it took uh, two or three of us uh, to try and carry a piece of appliance into a, in, into a basement. In fact, uh, there were many times we had to actually disassemble, uh, carry it down in components, and then reassemble in the basements. Uh, today now, it's smaller, it's compacter, uh, we use uh, different metals, uh, they are thinner, the, the passes are different, uh, but I can tell you that when I go back to the first generation of high-efficient furnaces that came out in the 80s, I have two furnaces right now in my training center in the basement that are 26 years old and there was not a thing wrong with them. Now, I will tell you that those appliances were cleaned and serviced and properly maintained every single year. And this is the biggest problem that we have today, is that the old stuff was so forgiving, people would have them cleaned or maintained maybe every seven years or so. And today, I'm afraid if you let a high-efficient, a uh, piece of equipment that is a precision piece of equipment today. That's what we have to, you know, get across to our clients. That piece of equipment in seven years is, I'm going to say, 50% of its life is gone out of it. And uh, so we see furnaces that are 12 years old that are completely shot when there's no reason why the the warranties are somewhere in around 20 years for the average uh, heat exchanger in a gas furnace today and we have clients that have uh, furnaces that are 26 years old uh, and still working fine uh, but uh, we still tell people the average life expectancy is about 16 to 20 years uh, if they get more than that it's a bonus uh, but we, unfortunately, we're seeing replacements coming out uh, in as little as 10 years, uh, and I would say uh, too many coming out at 12 and 13 years. You know, as a follow-up, what sort of maintenance do you do in your training center to keep these uh, systems chugging along you know, for 26 years? Can you tell the listeners what you're doing? Well, I think there's, you, you know, there's two things here. Uh, again, the, the message that we try and get to our clients and what I try and uh, get to the students, and that is there are things that are advertised as uh, clean and checks, safety checks, uh, and then there are things that are called cleanings, and then there are things that are called system analysis. Now, if people want to have that piece of equipment verified and validated that it's performing, you need to make sure that that appliance is clean and that you've done a proper 
system analysis that you've done a temperature rise across that uh, furnace and that the air conditioning coil is clean, the air filters have been cleaned and or replaced, the blower is clean, the secondary heat exchangers are clean, uh, the return airs have not been restricted, the supply airs uh, have not been uh, dampered off or restricted. Uh, so when we start taking uh, our temperature rise and our combustion efficiency, lots of times it, it, it points in the direction to say, geez, you know, we need to take a look at this uh, because people do things in their homes without thinking much about it, um, such as uh, redoing their home and laying new flooring and then uh, blocking uh, two of the return air registers in, in the home. Uh, but guess what? Those two return air registers were absolutely critical to the operation of that furnace because uh, the design in that home was such that it, it couldn't even have one uh, return less or we were going to start to choke airflow. And so I think you know, what we try and do is make sure that they understand what is the difference between someone coming in and checking the controls and making sure the limits work and then leaving after 15 minutes and getting their, you know, $39 furnace uh, uh, tune-up or whatever, you know, however they call this. Uh, People need to be aware that to do a proper furnace cleaning and to do an analysis on that furnace is going to take a minimum of an hour and a half to two hours. And, and, and that's, you know, if you've been maintaining it already. If you haven't, we often spend two and a half hours uh, cleaning a furnace. And that's all reflective in the price then that we have to charge. You know, Brian, I'm curious, what, what kind of things in this industry, whether it's IAQ or... or HVAC, HVAC, R, um, what kind of things make you boil? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, there, there, there's so many. Uh, s- some of them are the fact that um, we uh, continue to accept and have downloaded on our shoulders the responsibility to perform the heat loss, heat load calculations for buildings, to do the ventilation design and layout, to, to do the duct design, all because someone says, uh, yeah, I'm building a home. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I was asked for an estimate last week. Uh, so I drive out, and it's, it's, it's a long distance from the shop, but I get there, and they were looking for a price on a new furnace and an air conditioner. And I walked through the front door, and I kid you not, there was not one wall in that home. All I saw was studs mm-hmm. and pipes. They had completely gutted the entire inside of the home, main floor and basement, a 1,500-square-foot home. Then I was talking to them, and I realized, oh, no. Like they're doing even more than this. The entire roof of the structure is coming off. Every single wall that I could see studded is going to now move and be relocated. Hmm. They wanted a price from me to do this work. And I said, okay, so like, 
you know, where's your plants? You know, where's your duct design? You know, what size of furnace are they going to tell you you need now with all the new insulation and windows and everything? Oh, that's that's your job. I thought you were going to do that. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that what you do? And and you know, I I I understand that as as you know, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and refrigeration tax. We need to understand the load and the design and and that for the homes uh, and for the buildings. But we shouldn't be and 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 shouldn't have that responsibility onto us to perform that uh, at no cost. I mean, if they want that service provided, then you know, that should be a service that somebody has to pay. Like, you couldn't walk up to a, a, a carpenter or a builder and say, hey, listen, you know, I want you to, uh, I want you to build me a 2,000-square-foot home. How much is it going to cost me? <laughs> the first thing he's going to say is, uh, where's your approved plans? Right, right. And you know, we'll do the takeoff after you've done that. Uh, and the plumber, you know, and the electrician and all the rest, all of this is laid out for them. And, and, and so the biggest problem that I think we face as far as indoor air quality in these buildings is no one is doing it. Nobody wants to do it right, okay? Now, we used to do it. I, uh, we stopped doing new construction in homes. Uh, I can tell you it's, it, it's probably 30 years ago because... We would do the duct design, the balancing, the heat loss calculations for the home. Everything was sized. Everything was done right. And then when it started to turn and go into more cookie-cutter approaches to building homes, my dad said, you've got to be nuts. We're not doing all this work for, for nothing. We can't even compete now. Look at what these guys are throwing systems in for. Yep. And nothing was being sealed. No duct work was being sealed. Uh, all of the connections uh, to the ducts not being sealed. And, you know, in my own home, I openly admit, you know, when, when uh, in 87 I moved into my home and I gutted it and then it snowed two feet and I, I had no heat in my house, I had to quickly get my ductwork put up. Well, e even, even doing as good a job as I did, I did not seal my joints, and I just recently had it air-sealed uh, through a company here in Winnipeg who now has the franchise for Aeroseal, and I had 20% duct leakage in my home. Wow. Now, the fact is, it's going into my building envelope. You, you know, people can say, well, Jesus, Brian, what are you worried about? It's, in, it's within your building envelope. And I'm going, you don't get it. The BTUs are not going to the room that I need those BTUs in. Right. And the comfort in the house... It's it's a hundred percent different. You, you can't you just can't believe the difference. Twenty percent of your airflow that was being lost actually makes. Hmm. Hey Brian, I've got a text here uh, from a listener, and uh, let me see if I can see it. It says, "Do you think the industry is doing a, a poor job of getting consumers to maintain their systems, or is it a money thing? The consumers um, they don't have the money to maintain the systems." Uh, no, I, I think we can always do a better job. I mean, w one of the things we have to do is we have to be able to point out uh, to people what should be done uh, on a regular basis. In fact, 
you know, how many, how many companies have an actual, uh, you know, checklist, right, of all of those things uh, that, that should be done and should be performed, and how many actually follow the minimum recommendation that the manufacturer lays out uh, for them to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, I, I, I think we can, we can always do a better job at informing the, uh, uh, the, 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 the customer as to what should be done. Um, the one thing that I think we do probably the most terrible job at, and that is we don't teach uh, the clients the difference between the cleanings and doing a systems analysis of actually performing a combustion analysis on a home, on a furnace, and, uh, you know, in Ontario, uh, one province over to the east, they're actually forcing now contractors to perform combustion analysis after uh, every time they visit the home or have to service that appliance. And, uh, you know, I don't want to see us have to be regulated into it. I'd like to see people understand that, you know, paying and and having that task performed for them has a net benefit in their pocket for energy. And, And so from that perspective, we can do better. Cliff? Yeah, Brian, maybe this is an American thing, but um, I, I, fortunately, uh, I've owned several houses over the years, uh, currently own a couple of pieces of commercial property and have had uh, you know, new furnaces and new boilers and new heating systems uh, you know, put in over the years. And I cannot remember a single instance in dealing with maybe a half a dozen or a dozen companies over the last 30 or 40 years, it seemed that the companies were only concerned about selling new installations, and not one of them ever made me a proposal for maintenance and said, look, you know, we'll come back a year from now, we'll come back six months from now, we'll change the filters, you know, we'll clean this, we'll clean that. It just seems that in the United States, it's, it's sell new and sell yeah, you know, sell a new installation and then move on to the next customer. Let alone. Well, no, <laughs> listen, that uh, you 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 don't get to keep that designation. That 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 uh, happens on both sides of the border and probably in every province and every state. Um, that that is an issue uh, that is business related. And you guys put on so many great shows where you bring guys in who talk about business. And you know it. It again is how how these businesses operate. There are a lot of these businesses that when I walk into my competitors, they basically got a tote board going on the wall. It's a big whiteboard of every tech, how many humidifiers they sold, how many uh, air conditioners they sold, how many furnaces they sold. These guys have to move boxes. They have to move product. And so what happens is, they understand because they're not paid very well, okay, in some of these companies. They're, they're honestly not paid very well. Where they shine and where they're able to make up the money is how they're paid. They're paid on the commission based upon the sales that they make. And these guys will condemn more equipment and convince more people to upgrade equipment and do all the rest instead of doing maintenance. That's not how I was raised. That's not how our company was formed. We did 
service agreements. In fact, when I said we did 10,000 oil customers under contract, those were people who, uh, so long as they bought their fuel oil from the supplier that we were contracted with, they got a free annual cleaning. They paid for the parts uh, to, to be replaced on that furnace. And then over time, of course, that went away and they had to pay for it. Well, today, uh, and as long as our company's been in existence, so for 43 years, we have offered full parts and labor service agreements where we come out and we will clean the furnace, uh, we will clean the air conditioner. Uh, the only two components we don't cover for warranty, if you will, or under the insurance coverage, is the heat exchanger and the compressor. We cover everything, including the refrigerant that's lost if you have a leak, but we do not cover those two major components, and we do not cover the uh, thermostats. Okay, But other than that, all of the components, so you pay us a fixed uh, uh, fee uh, um, per year, and we come uh, and clean the air conditioner in the spring, and we'll clean the furnace in the fall, and we will keep that thing running uh, efficiently. And uh, if you have any issues at any time, uh, we're there. You get priority call. If Joe calls and he's not a, um, you know, a, a service contract customer, I'm afraid he's second one on the list. We, we come to Cliff because he's with us first. You know, one, one follow-up on that, Brian. It, it would seem that both in the United States and in Canada, you have contractors that, you know, heating, ventilation, air conditioning contractors, that at some point they're going to want to sell that business. You know, the, the kids don't want it, they want to sell it. And it would seem to me that a business that just sold and moved boxes really has no guaranteed future. And that a business that had maintenance contracts would be worth significantly more money. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's very short-sightedness. And the, and the other thing is, uh, you know, you, you, you want these clients as, as lifetime customers. Like, I, I can tell you, uh, Cliff, I, I can go back in my database, and if I print out, um, you know, some of the clients uh, who are still with us today, we've got not only, you know, the, the, uh, the original owner, we've got their kids, we've now got their kids' kids, Right. You know, the the value in that and building that database, okay, uh, we don't telephone solicit. Uh, we, we don't market our business that way. That's not what we do. We have friendly little reminder cards that go out in the mail that say, hey, Cliff, time to have your furnace cleaned, time to have your air conditioner cleaned, time to replace the air filter, okay? Now, if you choose not to respond, that's up to you. We don't phone you for the next three weeks bugging you to, to act, okay? That card is your call to action, and that's it. Now, if, if you don't act on it now, guess what? Next year, same month, you're getting the card again. Now, uh, not until we, we get where we haven't done any business with you for a period of 10 years, Okay. After five years, you, you, you go into an inactive database uh, section. And after that 10 years, uh, we put you 
out and we don't do any more mailings to you. But other than that, uh, we've got 10 years to, to try and convince you to continue doing business with us. I think it's a great system. It, 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 it works for us. It, our clients love us because we're, we're not, we're not high pressure selling them. Uh, you know, if, if they have any questions, they know they can phone up. If a client calls up and, you know, he's got no heat, uh, I have no problem with trying to help him over the phone or help her over the phone. Uh, if we can avoid going out and it's something simple that I know it's a plugged air filter or it's a blocked furnace vent on the outside of the home, okay, um, that's it. If it's a switch off on the stairs because they had company over and the kids shut the wrong switch off, as they were going up the stairs, you know, we'll take care of that, okay? Uh, we'll deal with them for the big things. I don't need to do that. But when you work for these other companies that, that are built uh, on, you know, they've got to keep the machine working. And, and I understand that. I understand how they're, how they're built. It's not my philosophy in business. It wasn't my parents. Uh, it's not my wife's. It's not my son's. You know, you, you have to decide how you want to um, operate in the industry or within the industry. Uh, and if you can go to bed at night uh, and, and sleep well, uh, operating it the way you operate it, um, however you operate it, I don't care. Uh, you know, that's up to you. That's what makes us competitors in the marketplace. And we just got to find a way to be better than the next guy. Right. Let's let's go to the roundup here. It's uh, we've, we're really running low on time, and uh, I've still got about eight questions to ask. But that's all right. We'll uh, we'll do it again sometime, Brian. Let's go to the roundup and bring in the good doctor. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw hide. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw. All right, before we bring in Dr. Wow, I want to set this up a little bit. Uh, Brian, I had a test or a question on my list here, and it is, should carbon monoxide testing be mandatory when maintenance is performed on appliances by code? And um, I know Dr. Wow is particularly interested in CO, so let's let you answer first, and then we'll bring in the good doctor. Yeah, well, that's what I was alluding to regarding combustion analysis. Um, in, and, you know, instead of just testing for CO, if you're going to test for CO, then why not just do a combustion analysis? And that's what uh, the province of Ontario has dictated now for uh, boilers. Anytime you uh, go to service a boiler, uh, once you have been there, then you must test uh, for the presence of CO. Now, in my opinion, if you're going to do that and you're going to already test for CO, I mean, my goodness, it, it, it is just minutes now to test for the combustion efficiency uh, of that uh, appliance at the same time as you're testing for that CO. So, uh, you know, they mandated it there, and, it, and it's a must, and uh, 
yeah, I mean, I would love to see that be in our in our gas code, in our national gas code, as opposed to leaving it to the fire commissioner's offices uh, within each of the individual provinces. All right. Let's bring in Dr. Wow. You got our music? All right. It's nice and short sure, All right. Good afternoon, Dieter. Do we have you? Hey, yes, I'm here. Great, Dieter. Any and questions? I listen very carefully. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I love what Brian said uh, because uh, uh, he uses common sense for difficult problems. Yep. And that's how I was raised in uh, my life. I have a bunch of things. The first one is that bothered me. I have not looked it up. I didn't go anywhere. And that has something to do with the rainbow. About 60 years ago, I learned physics in uh, Germany. And uh, I do remember, I do remember, I know that uh, blue has a shorter wavelength than red. Therefore, on a rainbow, the inner one ought to be blue and the outer one be red. I have not looked that up, but I may be wrong, and somebody said, hey, Dieter, you're wrong. I don't think so. Anyway, um, there are a, 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 I have a couple of questions. On the heat pumps, and I love heat pumps because I like the engineering, and in the old days when I knew more about uh, Heat transfer and thermodynamics, I was good at it, but that's a long time ago. Is there a rule of thumb in which climate heat pumps are recommended, possible, good, whatever? And in others, I mean, can you use the heat pump in Montreal or Quebec? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because the climate is much milder. In fact, uh, you, you would get much better performance out of them there. Uh, than you do out of uh, a heat pump in Winnipeg. Oh, really? well, okay, let me ask the next question. I live in Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, where it is right now, my one thermometer tells me it is 10 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which is about 10 minus 30. It's, it's almost uh, 10 degrees below uh, um, uh, Celsius, but anyway. Uh, so they do perform even in, quote, a little. I know they are very popular in the United States, in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Florida, and for that matter, you know, the whole southern part. Uh, I didn't know that. Anyway, we got that one out of the way. So there is no rule of thumb if the average temperature, and I hate those things, I'm an engineer, uh, what the heck is the average temperature? What does it tell me? It doesn't tell me a lot. Uh, the, the, yeah, over a year. Uh, when it's 100 degrees, I like to have the air conditioner on, and if it's 10 below zero, I like the heater on. <laughs> anyway, uh, the other one, Joe asked that also. Years ago, a friend of mine, he was uh, digging a well that north of Pittsburgh over here. I don't know whatever happened. And we ran into an underground, I don't even want to call it a spring. I mean, there was running water. And I said, if we put, if we put, uh, if we can recover the heat from down there, 
we can heat and cool your house very efficiently and it worked beautifully. If I remember correctly, I think the water temperature was like 55 degrees or thereabouts. There are a lot of BTUs, or for that matter, kilocalories in the 50 degree water. The only other thing is a lot of people heard that. I said, oh yeah, I'd steal the heat from around the house. They put pipes around the house and then they found out a little bit later uh, that they had an ice skating ring in their basement because <laughs> they took everything away from it. <clears throat> Ryan mentioned that and I love it. With all the stuff we have today, and it is not as expensive as it used to be with sensors for relative humidity and temperature alone, they cost virtually nothing anymore. And I argue with people, oh, you never ever can ventilate a crawl space. And I said, no, it doesn't work that way. Crawl spaces at the right time can be ventilated. And Brian said exactly the same. Hey, you look on the outside, you look on the inside, it's wonderful to get fresh air into the house. So I think that people should be looking into. The other thing is, and uh, I ran into that many times, last week we talked about material safety data sheets. Somebody gave somebody, a little old lady in the house, a material safety data sheet, which is, of course, thrown away money. And uh, Brian mentioned that too. You got to... People don't know about air exchanges. They don't know anything about that. You've got to educate them. And that is a difficult uh, thing. If somebody asked me, said, Dieter, you're a pretty good teacher. Here is a, a 65-year-old lady who uh, has this house, and can you teach her everything you know about thermodynamics? Well, I cannot, certainly not in 10 minutes. The other thing, and this is a good question, I replaced my furnace, which was a huge furnace, almost five feet tall. The new one is half the size, something like that. And um, Brian mentioned that, and I don't know, because uh, it's about three years old. I was here when it was installed, and I looked into it, and there were a bunch of things in there that I had absolutely no idea what they are. I know they are heat exchangers of some kind. I called the guy who installed it, who happens to be a friend of mine, and I said, hey, is there any maintenance we need to do? And I said, ah, no, you are fine. And I think that is a good question. Uh, should I do something about it? Should I ask, not my friend, should I call somebody who knows what the heck they are doing to do that? Yeah, it, you know, Dieter, it, it really is too bad. Um, a lot of people in the industry, they do, you know, they, they, they honestly do have that belief that, you know, it's new. No, you don't have to do anything. Uh, we really feel that it's important to go back for sure, even even in that first year, because, you know, there's all kinds of little things that you can pick up that, uh, you know, maybe... Um, you know, are things that we missed even on the install that we should have done better, and and we'll quickly make those changes while yeah. we're there. Um, the 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 other thing though is uh, the blowers. Uh, how much air? Okay, I have a a document that 
Uh, I use a typical uh, furnace uh, running on low fan, moving so much air, you know, across the air filter. And how many pounds of air per year go through that furnace blower? Even if we said we're using a MERV 11 filter, a good filter, um, you know, what's going to happen is the blades on that fan are still going to collect dirt. No doubt about it. No doubt. are going to collect dirt. And and we have to remember today now with the new uh, furnaces, we actually have uh, three uh, opportunities for dirt uh, to block airflow. And that is in the air filter, which it's always been, but in the secondary or tertiary or recuperative heat exchanger, uh, which is the finned heat exchanger between the uh, blower and the primary heat exchangers. Right. And then on the top of the furnace, we have our air conditioning coils that, again, are somewhere around 14 fins to the inch. And so those three surfaces are designed specifically to uh, turbulate, impact, and, and cause the particulate to either adhere to or fall out of suspension. Yep. And so they're critically important to clean on an annual basis. And then we need to check the uh, burning of that appliance. Uh, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for us to uh, find an efficiency on a uh, high-efficient furnace to be down to 89 or 90% efficiency and after we clean it and pull the burners out and clean them and readjust the gas pressure, if it's uh, fallen out a little bit, because, again, everything is mechanical. Yeah. Just because you set it once doesn't mean it's like that forever. Oh, well, I, I understand that, and I'm the first one to, to, to agree with you 100%. You know, if you buy a Ferrari, you still got to change the oil once in a while. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and be we done by somebody who knows what the heck he is doing. Well, believe it or not, we can get those efficiencies back to 96 or 97 percent combustion efficiency. And I mean, it, it might not seem like a lot when we're, you know, we're talking a residential energy bill. I mean, but 6 percent is 6 percent or 4 percent is 4 percent. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Right. I mean, it's all something. And, and the fact is, uh, you know, more so than anything. What we've actually done is increased the life of that appliance because we've actually cleaned all those surfaces and now the temperature rise or the temperature difference across that uh, furnace, the delta T, right. is within the specifications of the manufacturer. So one, one of the most important things that we can ask our technicians to do is perform a delta T uh, calculation on that furnace. It's simple. Two holes, sure. shove your thermometer in there. It's What's the difference? Yeah. Compare it to the nameplate. Uh, that's right. Uh, I have the holes already in there. In fact, in, in one of them is a thermometer. But anyway, yeah. uh, the only problem that I have, I was here when that furnace was installed and the uh, A coil up on top of it. There you have to take this whole thing apart to get to the inner parts of the thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there isn't a nice little plate that I can take off. I think I can get, and I can do that myself, I think I can take off a panel in the front, and I think I will see the uh, the, the fan blade. Yeah. 
See, see, and you shouldn't have to do that, Dieter. I mean, what what we do in our company is we install a six by twelve uh, commercial grade oval access door. So you have the two. Uh, uh, um, uh, I, I want to call them, you know, the old sash windows that uh, had the locking mechanism at the top the, yep. that you twisted with your thumb. That's what we've got on the access doors. So our clients can go up there. They can open that access door, shine a flashlight or a trouble light up in, and take a look at the coil and see the condition of the coil. Uh, we get to do the same thing. We get to inspect the heat exchanger or the electric elements. Uh, you know, it, it makes the ease of maintenance just incredibly super because oh, yes. you know, we, we don't need a tool at all. To do, to yes, absolutely. I, yeah, in fact, that should be mandatory to have it, that you can uh, uh, do the maintenance. But, Dieter, most of the time when, when installations are being sold on, on price, only on price, what these guys do is they sit the air conditioning coil down right on top of the furnace and now trying to perform uh, regular annual maintenance becomes a real task because you cannot inspect that furnace heat exchanger properly. Agreed. You cannot inspect the coil or clean it. And so we recommend, and, and I just covered this with my class last night, I want to see those coils a minimum of six to eight inches off the top of the heat exchanger. And in fact, I want to see them as high in the plenum as possible without interfering with the airflow out the takeoffs. Yep. Interesting. No, I, I understand that. The other thing you mentioned, and I did in the old days, I designed industrial ventilation. And one of the problems that I had is I could, look, guys, I know how to take the air out and I know how to replenish the air. If I take 5,000 CFM out, I got to bring in 5,000 CFM intelligently. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And I had the problem convincing the people that they had to pay me uh, for the ventilation design. I said, oh, the guy who is selling us the fan and the hoods, he will do all of that for free. Now, if they do that all for free, I can't compete with that price. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, a year later, I get a phone call. I said, do you still do ventilation? He said, yes, I do. I said, the, the, guy, the guy who installed it, uh, uh, didn't do it right and nothing works. And I said, yep, that's what you get for free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And, 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 we, and, and we get that, right? I mean, there's lots of times where, you know, there's homes where somebody comes along and the home had two furnaces, two air conditioners, and it, it is a significant amount of money to have to replace those systems. Absolutely. And if somebody comes along, convinces them that they can do it with one furnace, and they go ahead and they throw in one furnace, and then we get the call three months later saying, you know what, um, we can't get any satisfaction, blah, blah, blah. We need you to come, and we rip it out and uh, do it the way it should have been done. Uh, and yeah. that always becomes yeah, I mean, a much higher cost. Yep. Hey, let me get in one more quick one before we go, Brian. UV sure. lights. Yeah, well, we got to have Ryan back because I like to talk about those problems. Absolutely, Dieter. And for that matter, not only the problems but the solutions. I've still got a yeah. list of questions here for him. Are you? Uh, what do you think about UV lights in, in mechanical systems? 
Uh, UV lights, we, we have used them. Um, again, it's like everything that's out there, it has its place. Um, if you've got um, bacteria uh, or, or algae or slime uh, that is uh, uh, a significant problem uh, in and on coils, uh, then absolutely. Uh, but I think a lot of people are selling uh, UV lights um, in, in a lot of wrong applications because uh, there, there's a real science to them. Um, I don't profess to be an expert, but what I do know is that in order to kill the, uh, the, the, the algae or the mold or whatever's on those coil surfaces, the light has to see that and has to be able to bathe that coil long enough and, and that light has to be in contact with that long enough. Uh, and I, so I, I, I do think that they have a, a real place to play in the industry. The issue is, uh, uh, I think uh, most of the people in the industry are, are unwilling to understand them, and so they're being sold um, kind of willy-nilly in the industry. Yeah. All right. Just one final comment, Joe. Ahead, I think it, it's a very good idea to have a CEO monitor in your house. I don't know where I'm going to get CEO in my house from, but I still have one. Absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 it's mandatory here under the building code that uh, all homes uh, be fitted with a CO detector on each floor and that those detectors be located within three meters or ten feet of the sleeping areas. I have no problem with that, and it is, doesn't cost a fortune. No, that's right. Great stuff, Brian. And, Dieter, thank you both for joining us. This is Radio right, Well, you got to get Brian back and have a two-hour show. Oh, you know it, Dieter. You know it. Uh, I love these <laughs> man-in-the-field reports, you know? This is yep. real-world stuff here that people can put Oh, the, yeah, put exactly right. Hey, I well, mean, this is useful stuff, yes. Absolutely. Anyway, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Mr. Brian Baker. Great stuff, Brian. Have to get you back in the not-too-distant future. I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Of course, our Always techno- fun, Joe. Good yeah. show today. Good stuff. Good stuff, Cliff. You'll have a great blog today, I'm sure. Uh, check out Cliff's blog at the website under the blog link. I want to thank our technical director here, uh, Jessica Lawson, engineer, whatever, technical directors, Dr. Dietrich Wow, of course, and most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Next week, we've got a great show with uh, Dr. Ula Havarni Sharnasi, and I'll get that pronunciation right before the show comes up. Should be some really good stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about our research into the effectiveness of some of the restoration practices that uh, go on in the industry, cleaning and restoration. She's done a lot of interesting research on schoolwork and others, and I look forward to that show. So please come back and join us next week for the next episode of IAQ Radio.